Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Watley Maxell. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. I am so excited to be here today with my friend, Stephen J. Thurston. Say hi, Stephen. What's up, everybody? Glad to be here, Jennifer. Thank you. You're so welcome. And I am super excited to talk to you because one of the things that we've been talking about for the last few months or so is this idea of redefining or reimagining the vocation of ministry. Yeah. That for so long, pastoral ministry has been the defining pathway when we talk about vocational ministry. And while that is still very viable, and there are plenty of us out here who are still doing pastoral ministry, there are also all these different ways of doing ministry that people are engaging in and reimagining and kind of taking the wrap off the vocation of ministry <laughs> yes. and just going where the spirit is leading. And so I know that is definitely a part of your story. You come from a multi-generational lineage yeah. of pastors, and now you're doing something different. So why don't you tell us, first of all, what it is that you're doing now, and then we'll get into kind of how you got to where you are. Sure. So I define myself as a serial entrepreneur. I've got a consulting firm where I deal with churches, nonprofits, municipalities, pretty much anybody who has a check that's going to clear. I will consult (laughs) with you on leadership development, project management, helping you to streamline what you do. Just be more efficient in what you do and how you do it. I've had high-end luxury men's clothing stores. I've invested in real estate, consulted again for some of everybody from Hampton University to the city of College Park has been a client, small storefront church, mega churches, you name it. Again, if the check clears, I'm your guy. <laughs> right. I can respect that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that has been on the backside. And some of that was intermingled with pastoring. Mm-hmm. So I've had a 20 year pastoral history. And you mentioned the generational piece. My great grandfather started New Covenant Baptist Church. It was 44th Street Baptist Church back then. Then my grandfather took over, moved the church to a new location, changed the name to New Covenant Baptist Church. My father succeeded him. I came in and pastored with my dad. And now this update, my dad is on the verge of retirement. And now they're trying to pull me back in. And I'm like, (laughs) ah, I'm a free agent. I like doing what I do now. Right. And so that's a new cliffhanger that I didn't tell you about that's kind of hanging in the wind now. Yes. Well, I'm in the process of experiencing my father's retirement from ministry as well. So I will definitely be praying mightily for you and him (laughs) and the entire family. So now you are talking about how you made this transition when you were pastoring. And it sounds like you started doing some of these consulting and different things. What was it? Did you feel an unction to do something different? Was it something you just started doing that you liked? Did you have a plan? Yeah. How did your journey kind of take shape? All right. So let's back up to when I was a young kid. My dad was on the road as a little kid, maybe like 40 weeks out of the year. I would see him at church on Sunday mm-hmm. for the three services. And then he was on this plane mm-hmm. going to preach somewhere across the globe. I wouldn't see him again until the next Sunday. I didn't understand life insurance then. And so I asked my mom, what happens if dad's plane crashes? Mm. And she's probably like, you're five. Why are you even thinking about something like that? Mm -hmm. I didn't understand life insurance. 
my mindset was, we got a knife lifestyle. I want to keep it going. I got to learn how to hustle and make my own money. Mm -hmm. So this entrepreneurial spirit just kind of kicked in. And so I had my first business at 17. Wow. And so that kind of set the groundwork. So as I shifted into ministry, started preaching, I think sophomore year at Morehouse, Mm -hmm. my mindset was always, I got to have an extra check coming in just in case the folk at church get crazy. Mm -hmm. And then again, my dad was like, hey, just because you're preaching doesn't mean your lifestyle has to change. Don't allow people at a church to tell you what you can drive, where you can live, how you can dress. And so my mindset, I got to keep this extra money so I can be free. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in the pulpit, free to say what I need to say to speak truth to power mm-hmm. without fear. Oh, they're going to hold the money back. Nah, I got my own money. Mm-hmm. And so that was always there. Also, while I was at McAfee Theological Seminary there in Atlanta, I took a class and it allowed me to work outside of the school space. And so I don't like hospitals, dead people. I wasn't doing all of that (laughs) and discovered that my instructor had a farm. And I said, hey, man, can I substitute and do something with animals? And he was like, sure, no problem. Chastain Horse Park was looking for volunteers. Mm. And I'm an equestrian. I'm not a cowboy. Mm -hmm. Never call me that. That's disrespectful. I'm an equestrian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I ride English. And so went over to Chastain, started volunteering, working with people with a variety of handicaps and disabilities, equine therapy. And Pastor E. Dewey Smith was my pastor and mentor at the time. And he was like, man, that's like real ministry. That's it. It's not about what we're doing in the pulpit. It's stuff that you're doing on a day-by-day basis with those people, spending time with them, nurturing them, developing them. And so that's when it started to shift for me. Ministry doesn't have to be confined to the four walls of the church, and it doesn't have to look like what it's traditionally looked like. And so from there, I just started going further and further away from what traditional pastoring might look like and ministry might look like. And that set the path as I continued to develop having these extra things on the side that I did that I also classified as ministry. So when the time came and I was in a position to make a decision to walk away, I could walk away and still feel like I was connected to the work that God had called me to do to minister to the misery of the masses with the mercy of the master. I see you still have that pastoral alliteration going on. I love it. We never lose it. So one of the things I love about your story is how you talk about wanting to ensure that you remain free and that you have a level of freedom. And I think for a lot of clergy and even maybe some church leaders who are listening, I think that's a real dynamic that a lot of people struggle with, particularly in this day and time when there's so much going on culturally, there's so much going on politically, there's so many issues that people want to speak to. And there are people who are concerned because again, the church does pay my check. Yes. So what would you say to those who may be in those positions, who maybe don't have those additional streams of income or additional interests? How do you kind of encourage them to start thinking about ways that they might explore other ways to supplement or even to just explore other gifts that they may have that are not being developed within their ministry setting? That is an amazing question. Thanks for bringing that up. I think that what helped me was finding people who were doing things that I wanted to do outside of the church space. And I started spending time with them. Most pastors, preachers, we talk to the only conferences they're going to are preacher conferences. Hampton and National Baptist Convention and Kojic, all of that. Yeah, that's great. It's cool. Amazing. But there's some other stuff out here where you can connect with people that can help to see stuff in you that you didn't know you have and gifts that you brought to the table. 
I got my PMP certification, professional project management certification. While I was at the church, I was working on a project in Atlanta. Uh, I was serving at E. Dewey Smith's church, Greater Traveler's Rest. And I was, he put me over this big project that we were doing. And the outside vendor that came in after three meetings, they were like, Stephen, you're a project manager. You ought to get your PMP certification. Never thought that about myself. Never saw that. This is somebody from the outside that sees something in me. Mm-hmm. Had a conversation with me about how that could be beneficial for me. And I got the certification and ran with it. So again, connecting with people outside of the church space that can see something in you that's a transferable gift set that can be used in other spaces. And that's opened the door for me to function in other areas of nonprofit work or even corporate work, things of that nature. So just plugging in with somebody else who doesn't have a church lens that can see you from a different perspective and help to pull something out of you that will give you the spark to run in a different direction. I love that idea of being able to meet and align with people who might see something different in you. And speaking of something different, one of the things that we haven't talked about is the fact that you also are not just stateside, that you are a global entity. Can you tell (laughs) us a little bit about that and how that came into being? Yes, Morocco is my other home. If anything ever goes down in the States and you're looking for Stephen, you can find me somewhere in Marrakesh (laughs) hiding out. I think I've been back about eight times over the past year and a half. It first kicked off during that COVID experience as COVID was kind of opening up where we could travel again. Had a friend who expatriated to Morocco. And she'd set up a global travel company and she was creating a retreat center for African-Americans there just to escape some of the stuff that's happening in the U.S. for African-Americans. So she set that up. I was scheduled to go and spend a month, $2,000 for the whole month. Wow. Can't beat that. No. That's food and everything included. Mm -hmm. Heat wave comes 150 degrees. She pushes the trip back. I end up taking seven other pastors later that year in October and fell in love with the place have continued to go back over and over and over again. I'm looking at getting a home there. And actually, several months ago, I picked up my first client over the consulting client. There's a herb shop that I would always go to, built rapport and relationship with a young man that worked there, was like the top salesman. He was getting frustrated, felt an urge for entrepreneurship, launched out on his own and helped walk him through some of that in terms of setting up some structure and some systems. And he's doing amazing now. So yeah, Morocco was my spot. I love it. That's definitely one of the places that I want to go so, so, so badly. And what I love about your story is you seem to have a real affinity for following where the spirit is leading. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times with Ministry Collaborative, we talk about this idea of faithful risk taking. And for so many people who are listening, we have passions, we have dreams, we have gifts, we have those bucket list things that we want to do. And there's just something that seems to be keeping us from stepping out and doing it, exploring. What would you say is your mechanism, your reason, the thing that kind of pushes you to continue to push forward and explore these new avenues and opportunities? James T. Meeks, pastor emeritus of Salem Baptist Church in Chicago, where I served as executive pastor for five years to help him to move to retirement. The church reached out to me from Phoenix, Arizona, largest African-American church. They invited me to preach for Easter. Their former pastor had died. And so as a preacher, you know, somebody invites you to preach for Easter. That's not just a preaching engagement. They're checking you out. Yeah. And once I figured out what was happening, I was like, I'm not going. 
This is why I'm not going, blah, blah, blah. Pastor Meeks walks into my office, puts his feet up on my desk and says, now, Stevie, tell me again why you're not going. I tell him, run my list of why I'm not going, why I'm not interested. And he says these words that have stuck with me and pushed me forward. He says, Stevie, stop trying to close doors that God has opened. Mm, That's good. Yeah. So from there, it's like, if it's open, if I feel led to try it, I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. If God doesn't want it to happen, God will shut it down. Mm -hmm. I've got to live out this faith that I've been preaching for the past 21 years. And so just go for it. Just try it. Just do it. If it doesn't work, try something else. Right. (laughs) So now I know there are some people who feel that there's already enough of a shortage of pastors in churches here in North America and are very resistant to this idea of pastors kind of exploring alternate ways of doing ministry and being. What would you say to that argument? I think the church space is changing. I've always kind of seen the church down the road and what's happening. I think church is getting smaller and it's going digital. Mm -hmm. I've been preaching that for the past 10 years and I think it's coming to be. So culture is requiring ministry to look different. Mm -hmm. And so there's a piece that I'm involved in called Holy Smokes. It's a podcast. And so we deconstruct bad theology one cigar at a time. Mm And it started out in Atlanta at a cigar bar there. The crowd started growing. The owner said, hey, why don't y'all take Thursday nights and take this side of the cigar bar and just do your thing? And then from there, it just expanded. And now we've got about between 2,500 and 3,000 people that have subscribed to and follow and connect. That's a mini church. Mm -hmm. We talk theological talk, Bible talk, preach principles, all of that stuff in a different kind of way. And you've got churches that can't even get 60 people to show up on a consistent basis on Sundays. But we got 2,500, 3,000 that are plugged into this area of ministry. So I think ministry is just going to look different as we move forward. And we've got to be nimble and agile enough to meet the demands of where people are. And stop expecting people to come to us, go to where they are to carry out kingdom work. I love that. And I think you're so right that there is a nimbleness and a dexterity that we have to have. And I think it's a muscle that a lot of us, frankly, just have not even begun to work out. We're weak in that area. We've atrophied. What are some of the things that people can do, again, who aren't at that place yet, who are kind of in their traditional church setting to kind of start thinking about and looking at ways that they can work out that muscle and start to be a little bit more nimble, a little bit more dexterous. Understand life cycles of organizations. Here's the reality. If you don't have baby makers in your church, your church is a dying church. Mm. It's dead. And we got to reconcile the fact that a lot of our churches are not churches. They're spiritual hospice centers. And if you don't make change, adjustment, tweak the thing that you're doing, it's going to be a dead situation. Nobody's going to be there. There are more people in the de-churched and the unchurched categories than there are in the churched categories. So what do we need to do to shift to reach these people so that the church has posterity, so that it has life? And if you don't want to make the change, just be honest about that so that we can bring those traditional ministries to a graceful close, sell the assets and pour that liquid cash and capital into some other young progressive ministry that is really going to do the work to reach people where they are. So be honest about, hey, I want to die. Great. That's for you. Just die and leave the rest of us alone. who are really trying to reach people and be creative. 
What I love about what you're talking about is this idea of innovation. We do have an issue with the church. As much as we talk about resurrection, (laughs) nobody wants to die. You got to die to be resurrected. And I think you make a really good point about us looking at ourselves and our personal ministries and what we feel called to, some things that we've maybe been doing that are not giving life, that are not continuing to thrive. What does it look like to reimagine that innovation? as well as churches. One of the things I'd like to hear about is because you are a consultant, you do work with churches and other organizations. If there is a pastor or a church leader who's listening and feels like they're kind of stuck in this space, what is something that you as a consultant that they brought in, like kind of what do you do? How do you walk organizations through the process of maybe assessing where they are and then actually getting to make some type of change? Yeah, I've got a series of assessments that I ask pastor and congregation to take so that they can be true about what their temperature is. I mean, we all think that we're doing well until we take a test and see that we're getting C's and D's Mm -hmm. and then we have to make readjustments. So I've got a series of assessments that I allow them to take. And then we dive into the core values. What are your core values? Because all of your ministry efforts need to come out of your core values. And so people will say, this is what we believe in, but your activities show something totally different. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get that alignment. And that might mean, again, some stuff has to die and some stuff has to be killed. And then we make that distinction between the two. Keep it or kill it. I create that list. And then from there, we reimagine what the ministry will look like, where our niche is going to be, because we can't be all things to all people. We don't have the fiscal capacity or the physical capacity to do all of that. So where it's going to be our little carved out section in the kingdom of God where we're going to win. And then we strive ministry from there and start seeing change and transformation take place in the life of the congregation and hopefully that community. That's such a good word, I think, particularly for us to end on. And the one word that you have just echoed throughout this conversation is truth. And if nothing else, I feel like people need to take away this idea, like you got to be able to tell yourself the truth. Yes. And you've got to be able to speak the truth in your organization, in your congregation, in your community. Because if you can't even tell the truth about where you are personally, where you are professionally, where you are as a congregation, where you are in terms of the community, then it's really, really hard to make any kind of change and to really kind of move in the direction that God is calling us to. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you, Jennifer. And I'll see you around the kingdom. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.